Maybe if you don't want to talk, you could just listen. Foster and you are listening to the latest episode of your third favorite, above average but infinitely curious podcast, Dimed Out. Back from the mid season break, it is season two, it is episode 10, and uh, yeah, I am looking forward to this because this is unlike anything we've really done before. So, as you can tell by the title of this week's episode, we are going to be talking about a project called Everywhere at the End of Time. Now, chances are you may know about this because it has had a real sort of resurgence, a bit of a mushroom cloud boom on the internet over the last few months to the last year. If you've been on YouTube, if you follow stuff on Reddit, if you basically just scroll through the internet, there's a good chance you have maybe seen this come up somewhere, even if it's just the artwork. Maybe you have actually taken the plunge and listened to the album itself. I'm calling it a single album because, well, well, let's get into it. For those of you who don't know, this is what we're talking about. Everywhere at the End of Time is the project. The person behind it is a British musician called Leland James Kirby. He's been making music for, from what I can see, from about 1999. He's recorded music under a bunch of pseudonyms, including VVM, Stranger under his own name, Leland Kirby. But yeah, he's recorded under a whole bunch of pseudonyms, primarily underneath the moniker of The Caretaker, which started life as a sort of homage, as a sort of tribute to The Shining. So the main body of music that he has been inspired by, that he's used and utilised and sampled, is of a particular ilk. If you've seen the Kubrick film, you'll kind of know where we're heading. If you haven't and you're unfamiliar, the main body of work used for The Caretaker Project is that of 1920s to 1940s ballroom music, or, as is also very twirly known, British tea room pop. Which, you know, the internet being the internet, no doubt there are many nooks and crannies that are just solely dedicated to that genre. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what a, what a sub-genre. Now, if you have not encountered this on the internet, if you have no idea what this project is about, the nutshell definition of it is that it is six and a half hours of dark, ambient, experimental noise music that is designed purposely to simulate Alzheimer's disease. It is a scope of music, as I say, six and a half hours long in six separate stages that is designed to, as closely as you possibly can through the medium of music, to simulate the decay, the degradation that comes with dementia. Now, obviously, given the subject matter at hand, given the fact that this is such a personal subject that, you know, some of you may have personal experience with, I myself have personal experience with this, I understand the heaviness of this, I understand how dense this is, and this is definitely not going to be an episode for everybody, and I fully appreciate that. So if this is the point where you say goodbye and you check in with us next week, then I totally, completely understand, and there is zero offence taken. It's not for everybody at all. I do get that. 
if you are going to continue with this, if you are still with us at this point, then chances are you have the very understandable question, why? Why, Mal? Why are you doing this? Why do you want to sit down with six and a half hours of music, challenging music, no less, that explores and simulates such a dense, emotionally heavy and and complicated and just troubling subject? It is a perfectly understandable question. It's one that I have asked myself a couple of times in preparation for this. So I get it. But I do have my reasons, and I will be explaining them as we go through the episode. The structure for this episode is unlike anything we've done before on the show. I said that earlier and I mean it. I mean, we haven't done something of a documentarian nature before on the show, so that's kind of a first here on Dying Doubt. But uh, the way that we're playing with the structure, the way this episode is going to unfold, is also very different to anything we've done before. The bulk of the episode is a series of recordings that I made during the experience. Whilst listening to the music, I had a notebook, I had my portable recorder, and at different stages, at different times, I would chime in, talk about what I was feeling, what I was thinking, what images were coming to mind, what I was picking up, what I was noticing. You know, essentially a collection of musings, which at the time was in the present, but is now in the past, but is also now in the present. Yeah. See. We're kind of getting into tenant territory here, uh, but hopefully this is going to be a lot easier to understand. Essentially, we're playing with the structure because that is the main bulk of the episode. Those recordings that were done in the moment at the time, but I've also interweaved some post-production comments and opinions and thoughts and ruminations a couple of weeks after the event. So I've left some time, I've left some space, I've come back to it. And uh, yeah, the two are sort of intersected together. I should also point out before we jump into the episode for real that this is not as polished as it usually is. It's a lot more raw in its presentation. So there are gaps, there are prolonged pauses, there are stutters, there are stammers, and you'll understand why. That'll become more apparent as we get into it. But I wanted to do that. I wanted to present it in a more raw fashion because I wanted it to be a, as much of an accurate representation of the experience as possible. But to counteract that, and to kind of tie into the nature of the project itself, there's also going to be a bit of studio trickery done in post as well. And now this is just becoming suddenly increasingly meta. On the topic of which, to twist your melon even further, I'm going to be including some samples from the project itself from everywhere at the end of time, some brief snippets underneath my vocal track. And that is primarily under the umbrella of fair use to emphasise and highlight some of the points that I'm talking about. Of course, all copyright goes to Leland Kirby, along with so much respect. Uh, Yeah, so you're in for something. (laughs) I can tell you that... uh, What that something is, I guess you'll just have to see for yourself. But without further ado, let's dive into it. This is me experiencing everywhere at the end of time. Uh, I'm about to jump into the Caretaker project. Um, I have put off doing this for so long um, because I've just... I've been really apprehensive to do it, but here we are, six and a half hours. I don't think I'm going to do it in one sitting. I really don't think I have it in me 
to do it in one sitting. But um, who knows? If I do, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows how I'm going to feel? Who knows what is going to come out at the end of this? Uh, it is an experiment of sorts that I'm doing for various reasons. And um, yeah... I am kind of... I have some expectations. I know that the project is done in, I think it's six stages. And uh, I have a, a good idea of, of musically what it includes to a degree. Um, and I know it's going to be pretty tough uh, emotionally. But that's one of the reasons I'm doing it. Yeah, to kind of help me connect... Uh, at a time where I feel a bit numb to a lot of things at the minute. So, yeah. Yeah, this is actually one of the main reasons that I wanted to do this, why I wanted to listen to this body of music as a whole, why I wanted to have this experience, is because I have been feeling very numb and calloused to a lot of things. Normally, I think, personally, I am quite a compassionate, empathetic person. I think that's just very much ingrained in my DNA. But lately, um, you know, during the whole COVID era, I mean, as we've got deeper and deeper into the COVID era, as it's gone on longer, as it's stretched out more, I have just felt more distant from people, from feelings, from emotions. I've just kind of been checked out of a lot of stuff. And it's, it's left me feeling numb. So this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this, was to see if it would jumpstart that part of me, jumpstart that sense of compassion, that sense of empathy that I've just kind of felt locked out from for a while. Evidently, this is something that I'm not experiencing alone. There are other people that are going through this. I found out that this is a thing called compassion fatigue and that it is actually a lot more common than I actually realised or thought it was. So, yeah, I, I don't want that. I don't want to have that. I don't want to feel like I'm locked out of my emotions or feeling connection to other people or feeling sympathy or empathy or, you know, compassion. It's, it's shit. <laughs> I don't want that. So, you know, that was a big reason that I wanted to do this. But, yeah, here we go. Uh, I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm going to dive into it. Um, everywhere at the end of time. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I will, uh, <laughs> I'll speak to you later, I guess. Okay, so stage one. And let me just pull up the description. Each stage does have a description. And I should also note that I'm not reading ahead. I obviously am aware that each stage is getting further and further into degradation, um, but I don't want to. I don't want to read the descriptions. I don't want to read the sort of language that has been attributed to each stage to sort of give myself more of a pure experience. I don't want to go into each stage knowing like what it's designed to be, what the ideas behind it are. For, for the sake of keeping the experiences as pure as possible, really. But the description, same goes with song titles as well. I'm, I'm trying to avoid looking at what the song titles are, so that doesn't affect how I feel about the, the pieces of music and what comes to mind. Um, but for stage one, the description is, Here we experience the first signs of memory loss. This stage is most like a beautiful daydream. 
the glory of old age and recollection, the last of the great days. And actually, I think that's a really good description for stage one, because that's exactly what it is. It's got a real sort of dreamlike, romantic nostalgia to it. Uh, Alright, so I'm going to read through some of my short notes here for stage one. Uh, and I've kind of done it in chronological order. Georgie Piano mixed with slightly dreamy, melancholic piano. I'm sorry, I'm trying to read my own writing here. It's a little bit difficult, weirdly enough. Bathed in a warm vinyl crackle. So yeah, the, the vinyl crackle is something that runs throughout the entirety of it. And it differs a little bit. But to begin with, it's got the real sort of warm, rich sound to it. Uh, what else we got here? Images. All oh, right. So yeah, I've kind of put in, in my notes things that have come to mind. So yeah, to me, I was getting images of dance halls being emptied, like people leaving dance halls, and particularly thinking World War Two era, which I think a lot of the music and the samples from this are taken from that sort of uh, era of, of jazz and sort of big band type stuff. Uh, so yeah, images of dance halls emptying. For some reason, the if you've ever seen the film Phantom Thread, the New Year's Eve scene came to mind as well. There as well. Just uh, a lot of people... Uh, in sort of congregating in an area and enjoying themselves, but yeah, the the first thing that came to mind was just people leaving it, which I guess you know it's kind of appropriate to the idea of memories of of good times beginning to slip away. All right, what else I got here? Slight sonic manipulation to the samples, and this happens quite a lot throughout stage one. Um, so you get a lot of reverb, you get a lot of delay. Uh, all right, getting a little bit specific here. And it seems like I have done throughout the rest. Uh, A4, which is called Childishly Fresh Eyes. What have I put? Uh, cuts out abruptly. Yeah, it did. It cut out abruptly in the middle of a very jaunty melody. And then goes into the following track, A5. Yeah, that was actually kind of jarring. So, uh, because this is more of... Uh, I, happy is maybe not the right word, but it is more happy than... What I'm expecting, it is in that more romantic, nostalgic sense. So there's a lot of sort of jaunty, upbeat, sweet melodies within stage one. And A4 has this really sort of jaunty melody going on until it just cuts out. And, and it cuts out into A5, the following track, which is Slightly Bewildered is the name of it. And really it's just a repeated cycle of sort of what sounded like down-tuned very brittle sounding piano and what sounded like a sort of vocal sample that was pitched down and sort of pressed into the background yeah A6 um, the crackle is different uh, not warm like it was in the beginning more like rain dripping from far away so yeah the sound of the crackle very very different not got that sort of warm happy nostalgic romantic glow to it but somewhat of a more cold and damp sort of aesthetic. A uh, beautiful but melancholic melody. Uh, random cuts of sound are in there and there are time stretches and it stutters towards the end. So you're already beginning to see a little bit of sonic manipulation and degradation going on. B1. Wonky version of We'll Meet Again. Melody bends as if the vinyl has been warped in the hot sun. So yeah, there's, there's the bit of like just warping to the general sound of it. And and this is actually kind of curious that I've written this recognisable but not quite right. So it sounds a lot like the melody for We'll Meet Again. 
but it, yeah, it just doesn't sound quite right. It kind of, I don't know what to say. It just kind of like melts a little bit and leans away from, from what you expect. Yeah, I don't know if that's if that is actually what the sample is, or if that is just me associating a memory of my own. If this is becoming somewhat of an immersive experience. Now, as far as I can see, after having listened to the album and sort of dug into it a little bit more, I can see no listing of that being a sample used. And so it really is a case of me projecting, essentially, inserting my own memories into this thing. And in a strange way, it is becoming immersive at this point because of that. It's no coincidence, really, that I mistook the sample for that song for We'll Meet Again because that is a song that my grandma used to love. It's a song that I remember her humming the melody to, uh, not singing, because at that point uh, she had forgotten the lyrics to, to all songs, but she still retained melody. And, yeah, uh, we're going to get into this in a little bit, but she's a huge reason for me doing this. Um... You know, some of you may know, some of you might not, most of you probably don't, but my grandmother did have dementia. Uh, I lived with her as she lived through it. And uh, a number of you are probably asking, why on earth are you doing this if you've already been through that and experienced that? And that's a fair question. It is a fair question. It's an understandable one. Um, There are two reasons, one of which we'll get into a little bit later. I will touch upon, certainly. But the other is that, you know, I have no understanding of this. I have no frame of reference. I've obviously never experienced it, thankfully. And, you know, hopefully never will. That is my number one fear. That has leapfrogged the fear of death, is losing my memory of, of the people, the places, the events, the moments, the things that I love, the things that matter, the things that care about me so as well as trying to create a spark of compassion a sort of spark of of feeling that i feel has become dormant it's um it's confronting that fear as well that's another reason you know on one hand because i don't have that experience because i don't know what that's like i don't know what my grandma went through i wanted to do this to kind of feel a little bit closer to her. And I know that makes like very little sense, maybe, I don't know. But in my head, it was like, if I can get myself to a point of simulation, if I can kind of bring myself a little bit closer, at least to the fringes of what was happening, I can bring myself a little closer to her as well. Whew, uh, yeah, so it's, it's no coincidence that, that I'm mistaking samples for things that I recognise, I guess. It's very strange, very strange indeed. But yeah, that's uh, that's what I was doing, a bit of projecting. What else have I got here at the bottom? Things linger and trail and stretch out as background layers. Yeah, that's part of the manipulation going on there. Uh, images and thoughts of washed out photos from a disposable camera. So yeah, as I'm, I'm getting towards the back end of stage one, just, I was having these images of... If you were a child of the disposable camera era, where you would take your your Kodak to Boots, or wherever you got your photos developed, and you'd hand in your roll of film, and then you'd get them back, 
and sometimes you would either have been pointing the camera at the sun and it just bleached out the entire thing, or you had your thumb over the over the, the lens and you just ended up getting like just photos of just sheer darkness with maybe a spot of white light in the corner. Yeah, I was just getting images of that, of old holiday snaps that are discoloured and sort of uh, washed out, listening to the sort of back end of uh, stage one. So yeah, that's stage one. Uh, for the most part, kind of jaunty and, and, and happy, and like full of, as I say, romantic nostalgia and, and happiness. But um, I don't imagine that's going to last uh, going into stage two. Alright, stage two, and uh, yeah, kind of different to say the least. Uh, there's, there's a real noticeable difference in the first track, C1, which is called, let's have a look, well, let's take a look at the description first for stage two. Second stage is the self-realisation awareness that something is wrong with a refusal to accept that. More effort is made to remember so memories can be more long-form with a little more deterioration in quality. The overall personal mood is generally lower than the first stage and at a point before confusion starts setting in. Again, that seems like a pretty accurate description based on on what I heard and, and sort of experienced and felt. So yeah, C1, noticeably different. Uh, texture sound is harsh and is moving at a faster tempo. So you had texture, you had the, the crackle, the sort of vinyl noise, the pops, the clicks, and just overall sort of textured layers in stage one but here it's just moving at a, at a much faster pace what's also interesting is it seems like there's more layers in the first track of stage two three layers of sound they managed to, to sort of pull out each one moving at different tempos too you've got a lead melody which you can follow but the other two layers really kind of pull your concentration away and c3 which is called what does it matter how my heart breaks which is an awfully devastating title on its own You've got a repeated melody or motif from stage one. At least I think you do. Again, it sounds really familiar with the instrumentation. <clears throat> yeah. Cut that. So, for C3, which has the absolutely devastating title of What Does It Matter How My Heart Breaks? I've got it here in my sharp notes. My sh <clears throat> Cut that as well. Alright, for C3... Uh, the third track on stage two has the... Alright, so if you're thinking, what on earth is happening here? This is some sloppy production. Mal, you've left a whole bunch of outtakes in. Yeah, that's not by accident. This is done purposely. Because I, as I said, I wanted to kind of document this in a, a way that was real and raw and truly representative of what was happening. And this is what was happening. Now, anybody that's recorded something, whether that's a podcast, a YouTube video, a full-scale production, will know that mistakes happen. Lines get fluffed. There are multiple takes. You know, not everything comes out first time. That's just the nature of, of doing stuff like this. But what you're hearing here is the start of a trend of sorts. At this point, having gone through stage two... I was beginning to find it difficult to concentrate. My focus was really spotty. It was becoming increasingly more difficult to read through my notes and form coherent thoughts and articulate them. Yeah, it just kind of felt like having gone through stage two, my cognizant abilities were becoming sanded down somewhat. And uh, yeah, 
This is where a noticeable change begins. I've got in my short notes here that there's a repeated melody or a motif from stage one. It sounds really familiar in terms of its melody, but it's got slightly different instrumentation with a manipulated sound going on. I mean, I think that it's from stage one. It it really did seem like I just heard that. But then it kind of made me think, is this a point where there's a lot of samples that are sounding the same, things are blending together? Am I remembering it differently? Or was it actually a recycled sample from stage one that's just been altered? Yeah, um, remembering things differently I've written in all caps because that seems to be quite significant. I mean, it could be just me or it could be me and the sort of figurative person that the music is attached to or referencing. could be both. You know, it could be deliberately done to to make that happen. But yeah, that kind of threw me off a little bit because I'm like, hang on, I've heard this, but it sounds different. And yeah... <laughs> kind of trippy a little bit to say the least alright the fourth track on stage 1C4 got lower and sharper sounds somewhat more menacing uh, the title for that by the way the fourth track is Glimpses of Hope in Trying Times C5 you've got delays on the melody where it's trailing behind it bursts again of pulsing textured percussion and to me it actually sounded at times like soldiers marching on gravel the sort of pulsing textured sound and I don't know why but for some reason this conjured up images of sort of desolate towns in the eastern block sort of barren dusty kitchens with empty tables and cupboards that are just like a dark blue or grey that's the imagery that I was getting from C5 surrendering to despair which is actually a pretty apt title for that imagery uh, D1 speaking of titles is called I Still Feel As Though I Am Me and this really is the first genuine emotional hit I've had with this project uh, a lot of this has been really interesting from a sonic standpoint, from a production standpoint, from a, a sort of intellectual standpoint. The idea of representative, the idea of representing memories and memory degradation through through little bits and pieces. But yeah, this is the first real emotional hit. There's some beautiful strings on here. Some of them are chipper, some of them are melancholic, and that seems to be the core of this track. Just that two sort of tone emotional spectrum you know upbeat downbeat fighting against each other there's a drone that is stretched out underneath which kind of gives this sort of ominous feeling to the track but as they say there's bright and chipper instrumentation competing with these sort of melancholic and slightly downbeat menacing counterparts yeah that's the first moment where i was just like okay There's some really interesting technicalities in here, some really interesting production ideas and sort of studio trickery and sort of sound manipulation that I think is is really kind of doing so far, and it's early doors here, but it's doing a good job at sort of representing what it must be like. The the first track on stage two was, was quite significant for me because you've got the three layers of sound, and as I say, it's kind of distracting... The two underlayers are sort of pulling away from the main melody. And it's, it's you know, I guess as close of a glimpse without ever having been there and hopefully never going there 
at what it's like to have so much information and sort of sensory uh, input and stimulation just working its way into your brain and sort of pulling you in different directions. Yeah, that, that did kind of feel a little bit overwhelming at points. But I have a funny feeling that isn't even skimming the surface of, of what's to come. It overwhelming. Okay. So, I've just finished stage three. And to say... Uh. Okay, so I've just finished stage three, and to say a shift occurred in that stage would be uh, an understatement. Yeah, so with the first two stages, I found myself being kind of analytical, um being aware of the audio a lot more, of the different dynamics, the different layers, the instrumentation, the sound manipulation. Um, something happened in stage three where that part of me and that experience kind of fell out, for you know, lack of a better term. And I kind of became... I mean, <laughs> I've got it written here. Tranquilized, and I think that's the best way to put it, because it's almost like it was a state of hypnosis. It wasn't, but it was almost. Um, yeah, there was. I've also put vacuum under there because it just kind of felt like I had been sucked into a, a sound vacuum. And that's not to say there's different moving parts. There were. There's. There's more. Distortion. There's more psychedelic elements in stage three. Um, you know, jaunty melodies again getting cut off, jumping to the next track. There's points where sounds and parts of the melody sort of reverse upon themselves. Um, there's there's more spotty melodies that are cut up by breaks and textures. Uh, other samples are kind of stitched together where it kind of begins to lose structure and form and, and sort of lucidity. But, yeah, like, I got that in the first half of it. Afterwards, my notes become a lot more sporadic. I mean, for one track, E8, I just wrote samples slower. F1, abrupt end. Uh, F2, melody, background, watery. (laughs) It's like the part of me that... Is, is interested in music production and how things are made and how tracks and compositions are put together. The sort of analytical part of my brain shut off and I just kind of became absorbed by the music. Ah, uh, yeah. And it was it was really quite strange. Like I say, it was almost, it wasn't, but it was almost like a sense of hypnosis. And, you know, as we get further into this project, there's more degradation, there's more decay, and that becomes obvious. And I think... That it's difficult to put into words because yeah, this thing, this thing is having an effect. I'm not gonna lie, and this is not um, 
like hyping this up for the for the sake of making this interesting it is genuinely having an effect uh <laughs> i mean i'm i'm finding it difficult to to even put together what to say next here uh you know but that was that was that was really interesting it was really interesting what happened where that that analytical part just sort of shut off and uh I just became, as I've written here, tranquilized almost. I wrote next to it, occasionally briefly come back to be cognizant of my notes and the things I'd noticed. So that was interesting, yeah. When I would sort of um, sort of break out of, of that almost tranquilized state, of, of that just super, super relaxed, almost meditative state, I would just instantly look back and start reading through my notes as if I'm trying to remember or trying to remind myself of what I've just heard. Which is kind of interesting considering the project and the nature of it. One thing that really did get to me as well is, and I think it's it's definitely, definitely, it has to be from stage one, this, this sort of jaunty sample. It's like a cheery horn section. I have no idea what it is. I don't recognize it. And I and I'm not even 100% sure it's it's the same thing, but it sounds like it. It sounds like the same sample that I heard in stage 1 that was repeated in stage 2 it came back again and twice I think it came back. The first time it was really scuffed and sort of the audio was all battered and yeah, that was an emotional point. That hit me kind of pretty hard because that made me think of one of the reasons that I was drawn to this project and to the type of music that's being used and sampled in this project, and that's my grandma. And I, I don't know if it's because I had that preconceived idea in my head going into this. That's that's why I'm thinking about her. But hearing that sample again, but in its de- decayed, scuffed, battered, audible state... It it just it, it kind of reminded me of a little bit of her in her latter days towards the end. And also the fact that I'm doing this because I'm I'm concerned that my memories of her are going. And it comes back again um, <laughs> towards the end of F7. I wrote that fucking sample again, but stretched out and fragmented. It is really genuinely haunting. I don't know what it is about it. I think maybe because it is just like cheery brass and, and it's, it's reminiscent of... like It's reminiscent for me personally of... Of the kind of music my grandma actually really loved. But it's also just like emotionally within the context of the first stage. It is. It comes across clear and bright and sunny and and sweet and nostalgic. It's like wartime sweetheart music. You know. And then you hear it again in its battered, decayed, scuffed state. And it's just like those memories are just disintegrating. Like it's, it's not what you thought it was. Yeah, like, I, I won't lie, um, <laughs> stage three was, um, 
interesting uh, in one hand for the sake that, yeah, it kind of, it did almost, as I say, tranquilize me. It kind of just made me, not numb, but just super meditative and, like, the analytical part of me shut down. The, the part of me that has been associating sounds with images has slowed down and... Yeah, it's kind of sinking a bit deeper on a more emotional, um, primitive level, I guess. On a much raw level than, than the first two stages. <sighs> yeah. Um, mm. Stage four next. And that's different because it's four tracks. And it's about just under an hour and a half long. So longer tracks, prolonged tracks, fewer of them, and, uh, yeah, I, I know we're going to get more decay, more degradation, but I, other than that, I, I don't know what to expect, especially after that stage, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry this is all, like, discombobulated and, and what have you, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just processing, What's really interesting here, and I forgot to mention it <laughs> while I was actually recording at the time, mind you, I didn't exactly know what was really happening. I wasn't exactly fully cognizant at the time of, of recording for stage three. Um, yeah. Not only am I getting discombobulated at this point, but even looking back now, it's it's actually kind of concerning how all over the place my handwriting is in my notebook. Instead of going across the page... It's dipping down, it's bending up, it's scrolling down on a diagonal. It's, um, yeah, it's it's not coherent. <laughs> kind of like my brain at the time, it seems. Yeah, a little bit all over the place. The previous two pages, reasonably neat, reasonably uh, eligible for the most part, straight across uh, stage three, as I say, uh, taking all sorts of different directions and becoming a lot more erratic, smaller and... Yeah, just a little bit more difficult to read in certain places towards the back end. So I uh, decided to call it a night after stage three. I didn't actually go through and do stage four uh, as I had initially planned. I just... Yeah, it was getting into the night. It was about seven o'clock and I thought I (laughs) do not want to burrow any deeper into this at the minute. So I took uh, a break and, uh, yeah, just enjoyed <laughs> the rest of my night and thought I'll tackle it tomorrow, which is what I'm doing. So this is day two. This is going to be my second sitting. It is uh, seven in the morning, and I'm actually recording this in the guest bathroom, so uh, not to wake my wife, because, yeah, it's seven in the morning, and um, and I'm about to dive into the harder parts. I'm beginning to question my own brain here. Is this the best time to do this? Is there a good time to do this? That's the question. Um, (laughs) I mean, it probably goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah, diving into stage four of everywhere at the end of time at seven in the morning. Ah, not the best thing you could do. Not the brightest idea I've had for some time. That's, that's for sure. (laughs) I honestly don't know. But I just figured, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do it first thing and uh, we'll see how it goes so yeah about to dive into stage 4 
and uh, yeah, I will be I'll be back with uh, with my findings. This is something else entirely. It is just unsettling. There's so many layers stacked on top of each other, cutting in and out. There's barely any melody. It's just dissonance and noise. It's just really quite aggressive and unsettling. Yeah, it's like structure has, has gone completely. It's like it's just... Not gone completely, but it's it's crumbling rapidly, and it's it's genuinely quite disorientating. It's like all these separate strands and elements are fighting each other. All these just so many layers stacked, cutting in and out. It's like just random cuts in time on radio frequency, but just the the tone. Does it? Does it real? heaviness to it it's it's pretty fucking menacing yeah so I just finished uh, stage four so yeah I just finished <clears throat> Yeah, so I just finished stage four, and that was not pleasant. It was <laughs> disorientating and kind of invasive, especially at the beginning. Just so many layers, so many things piled on top of each other, so many things cutting in and out. Just this constant stream, this constant line of change fragmented sounds and just fractured elements just a lot to take in a lot to take in and the the way some of the manipulations were done some of the the samples I think they're brass but I'm not sure but the way they were sort of stretched and manipulated it kind of sounded like ghostly voices so yeah and and add that into the mix of sensory overload and um, not exactly pleasant That the, the whole sort of front end of stage four is just too scattered to, to sort of analyse or even lose myself in. Like I analysed in the first stage and uh, second to a degree, but lost myself somewhat in in stage three. It's just too too much to do either of those things to even try and really pick out that many things or. Just find yourself, you cannot lose yourself in a sort of dreamlike meditative state here at all. At one point there was this huge menacing swell of dread. Just this, this awful sound that just kind of appeared out of nowhere and it just became this thick layer of, of just like otherworldly sounds. What's interesting is, in the in the sort of second half, you have this, this moment where, or this sort of, this part, this phase, this pattern, I don't know what to call it, this stretch of the, the, the composition, where it becomes very different, a lot of the dissonance dies down, and you have these clouds of ambient sound in the background, and you still have sort of cutting bursts of audio, and crackle, 
but it's also just cracking bursts of light, bright piano in the foreground. It kind of had not a dreamy sense to it, but just like I put here a sense of reprieve, because I feel like in comparison to the to the first section, it's exactly what it was. What's interesting is I've noted here that this is the, the first time in the process that I felt uncomfortable. This stage is the first time that I felt sort of, uh, at one point, a little bit intimidated, but towards the back end, irritable. Like, I found myself not wanting to sit still and, and wanting to take my headphones off and just stop for a moment. Uh, and and weirdly, this brought upon, like, this real, real, just very vibrant moment of realisation that I can stop this at any time. I can stop listening to this. I can stop putting myself through this any time, whereas the people it's supposed to be sort of representing, this sort of state that it's supposed to be representing, people going through such degrees of mental and memory decay, they don't have that option. So it was like this really strange, this real, very, very prominent sense of realisation that I can stop this whenever I want. People going through kind of horrors like this, this sensory overload, this sort of mangled scape of of interpretation and recollection. They can't. So yeah, going through quite a myriad of feelings with this one. You know, uncomfortable, disorientated, irritable, wanting to stop and then realising through all of that that, you know, in comparison... I, I I am extremely lucky that I I'm not even anywhere near the fringe of of this. It then took me in an interesting place because after being kind of sort of uh, overloaded and then acutely aware, I then towards the back end, the latter stage of stage four, found that my concentration was just wavering, just the focus was so scattered. And I don't know if this is simply because of the time of day that I'm doing it at, or if it's a byproduct of the music, of the project. And I say music because I put a question mark next to that, and I've written in my notes, at this point, is it even music anymore? Or is it just a soundscape with musical echoes? Because any sense of melody is so fragmented and ruptured and, and just broken that, you know, there are definitely parts of music in there. But at the minute, it's it's just like an audible soundscape, an audible representation. It's interesting because it, it, I kind of did find myself picking up a little bit more in terms of an analytical sense towards the back end. The sound of, of stage four towards the back end is, is flatter, it's more spatial, with sort of little embers of previous sounds sort of floating through. The slow glimpses of a melancholic but like really lovely ambient piece in there as well, like a really nice ambient piece, the kind of thing I would actually listen to, but it's kind of trapped under the weight of of like textures and sound and other layers. The way that I wrote it, I don't know why I'm having a hard time I'm having a hard time. kind of just getting my words out here. 
um, what I've written in my notes is is that that ambient piece that seemed to be trapped towards the end. It's kind of like very bright lights that are, are warmly twinkling for the last few times before they fade out. Like, that's the image I got. I suppose it's actually really accurate for what's happening. Yeah, it was just like a very different... different point from where it started. So, uh, I just finished stage five, uh, and did it later in the day, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I wasn't ready to dive right in, uh, after four, uh, I suppose it's kind of fitting, actually, that it's been done, not as a singular, but at different times, in different places, and back in, in my bedroom doing this, and, yeah, it seems pretty fitting, that the actual consumption of this is fragmented because the the form the, the everything the shape the texture the presentation uh, it's hard to think of accurate descriptive words uh, all of it all of it is fragmented so yeah uh, and this is this is left me feeling the most drained and and dense out of all of them four was pretty bad five was was yeah, and then some. So it starts off really abruptly, uh, like a jump scare. It jumps into a bunch of garbled sound, cutting in and out, back and forth, uh, and uh, throughout at various different stages to various different degrees, there's a brief moment of melody, and it's just quickly snatched away and sort of drowned in this mangled tapestry of sound, which is probably the best way to describe a big chunk, especially the the first section of stage five, a mangled tapestry of sound. It's darker, it's denser. There's more abrasive sounds and textures before. Um, something that I've noted here, just sort of imagery that came to mind during the, the initial section of uh, stage five, is that it's it's kind of like, or at least what I had in my head, was a series of projected images uh, on the walls of a cave. So it's like somebody's channel surfing, but all the images are just projected on the walls of like this, this subterranean cavernous place. Uh, all these images just twitching and flickering, just there for a brief second and then something else, but all various different things. Um, and then it, there's this prolonged atmosphere which goes on after this and it genuinely feels like you're going deeper I don't know how Kirby's done this I don't know how he's done this but it just managed to sort of really pull you into this sense that you are kind of going deeper and deeper and it felt like uh, my consciousness was slowing I know that sounds mad most of what I've probably reported sounds mad, but it genuinely felt like my consciousness was slowing, my body got more still, um, and I wrote here, and I feel this is really true, it's, it kind of happened in stage three when I talked about being tranquilized or feeling like I'd been tranked, but I wrote lost time, 
because there are patches and stretches and patterns within this whole project, but within three and most definitely in five, uh, where it feels like I just wasn't there. I was just kind of sunk into this and time just kind of disappeared. Uh, what's interesting is in stage five, there's a lot of stereo play. What I mean by this is that both the right and the left ear are producing different soundscapes. So not only are you getting layers upon layers, but you're getting layers of a kind in your right ear and something completely different in your left, and the two are sort of like pulling at each other a little bit. Um, yeah. All within like what I've written here is a thick foreground of confusion and dread. <sighs> Which I think really kind of does it justice. I've written here, and the truth is, uh, I do feel like this is starting to wear me down a little bit. Um, you know, everything is becoming so congealed and inseparable that it's it's beginning to sort of sort of bear a weight to it for sure. Like a real denseness, uh, which kind of leads me onto this next note that I've written here: that pinpricks letting in thin shards of cloudy light into a body of darkness. <laughs> Again, that's a pretty apt description. I think it just feels like it stretches when it goes into this sort of drone-like existence, this singular body that is dense, it is dark, but there are just these sort of, as I've written, pinpricks letting in shards of cloudy light. Uh, yeah, at this point, frustration was was beginning to to form. Um, as it, uh, yeah, at this point, frustration's really starting to set in. At, at, Oh. What's interesting is that this stage frustration was really kind of beginning to kick in as the, the general form begins to just fall apart. <sighs> okay, so uh, I've just finished stage six, the, the last stage, and the, the project as a whole. I'm finished now. And, um... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I think the description... I don't have it in front of me right now, but if I remember rightly, uh, the description is basically that there is no description for this. And it's kind of on the nose. Because, although there are a lot of crossovers two different parts, especially the, the stages that sort of preceded six. It's a it's a different beast and it's it's kinda it's it's difficult to really encapsulate. I mean the whole project's difficult to encapsulate, but six for some reason particularly so maybe I'm just feeling fatigued. <laughs> maybe it's just mental and emotional fatigue. Who knows? Uh but yeah, it's it's a different kind of beast. The more you focus or try and focus on one element, one layer, uh, the more overwhelming it was. And and at points, honestly, it was it was kind of claustrophobic. Uh, not as like scattered, or ruptured, or fragmented as the previous stage, but just just dense. Like at times, the foreground is just a dense brick of sound, but in in there, there's brief moments of like coherent piano and recognisable samples and bits of melody and honestly it's those bits which are the most 
disconcerting. Those are the bits that got to me the most. You know, it's it's a project full of dissonance and just aggressive sound design. And when I mean... Why is this so fucking hard to talk about? When you hear those, when you hear that little motif of, of, a, of what sounds like a trumpet, or you hear, like, a little piece of coherent piano, it's, it's, it's really, really, um, it can be kind of unnerving. It really can. You know, these tiny glimpses through the cracks, they kind of have you yearning almost to hear just a few bars of it, just a bit more of it, to have its presence be more fully realised, even if it's in just the smallest amount. Um, But at the same time, you know, you find yourself wanting to push it away because it's like an awful reminder because because the first stage is actually enjoyable <laughs> and and it oh, I guess I guess that's the purpose it reminds you of happier times it reminds you of, of moments of joy and then when you get those tiny tiny little cracks just pierce through dense bricks of sound and just dense layers yeah it's it's kind of like a, a welcome very brief distorted reminder but the more that is there the harder it is to to sort of even deal with yeah there's this really weird duality to it you know on one hand it is that nice reminder but at the same time even in just the smallest amounts it's it's really honestly quite haunting and terribly sad and it leaves me, and I've underlined this a number of times, because I think that this is the one thing I'm going to take away from. I mean, there's a lot that I'm taking away from this experience, but this really says uh, a great deal to me. And the question I've underlined in my notes is, is it better to feel this than have nothing at all? You know, the the idea of, of these tiny cracks of joyful reminders, is it better to have those? Even if it is just for a fleeting, fleeting moment before it's gone and lost against the background of noise and dissonance. Or is it better to just not have those reminders at all and forget about that? I don't know. It's tough. It's tough and you can apply that to a bunch of things, I guess. You know. The idea of is is it better to have memories of even painful things but painful things that made you feel that shaped you that altered your perspective that gave you a sense of growth is it better to have those things despite the pain or is it better to just cut them out and lose them I guess it's the whole eternal sunshine thing you know yeah um Stage six uh, does kind of get better. <laughs> I know it sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, but it actually does find itself becoming kind of transcendent. I think the whole project's kind of transcendent, actually. You know, I, I've, I felt like I've gone through various different stages through the different stages. But um, towards the back end of stage six, I put here around the five... Our 54 minute mark. 
the project as a whole comes to it it comes to I put here at about the five hour and fifty four minute mark the project as a whole comes to its quietest place, its most bare point, and uh, it's actually really jarring, especially when you've dealt with such dense walls of sound, such dense layers, such um, immersive soundscapes, for it to suddenly kind of become somewhat quiet, and uh, dare I say, uh, strangely peaceful and tranquil, it's, uh, it's kind of weird. And that leads us to the last 20 minutes which is, yeah, it is quite honestly one of the most evocative things I've heard in a long, long time. It is, on one hand, really peaceful and a cathartic release of sorts, but it's also tinted with sadness. It is the the last stages before presumably the, the fictitious person whose whose memory we've been navigating, whose stages of dementia we've been navigating, uh, it's the last stage of their life. And so there is like a cathartic release from everything they've gone through, from this sort of torment, this, this twisted labyrinth of confusion and distortion. But there is that sense of sadness that that's it. You know, there's the the, the, the much-needed release. But there is also, you know, the sorrow in the sense that this is it. And it counts off in the last five minutes with some of the most clear, coherent music in the whole project since the first stage. I don't know what the song is, but my God, it's haunting. It's wonderful on one hand, this is the thing, it's, it's such a mix of things, this whole project. On one hand, those last five minutes are wonderful because it's like one last clear memory of something good and pure and joyous. But it's one last reminder before the end. So it's kind of giving with one hand and taking away with the other. Yeah. Yeah, I won't lie, even hearing that last piece of music back again um, is is quite emotional. I can only imagine the impact it's had on people that have sat through the whole six and a half hours in one sitting. I couldn't do it, uh, not this time. Who knows, maybe one day I will, but for this case, I, I just couldn't. It was too dense to consume in one sitting, but yeah, hearing that last piece of music again, it genuinely is like an emotional trigger uh, for me. It's, like I said, it's, it's, it's weirdly cathartic, but it's incredibly sad. You know, it's a beautiful piece of, like, choral music that does sound angelic, that does sound ethereal, but, you know, you look at the, the context of, of what it's within, and it's, it's tough. You know, it's 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 a real sort of tragic beauty. What's interesting in there's a number of theories about the last piece of music. 
you know, some people do see it as an ascension towards heaven. Some people see it as the transference from from waking mortal life to what awaits us afterwards. Uh, and then there are some people that see it as what's referred to as terminal lucidity, which is uh, the unexpected return of mental clarity and memory or suddenly regained consciousness that occurs in the time shortly before death in patients suffering from things like Alzheimer's and dementia. That's what I got from it, and I guess it depends on what side of the sort of theological fence you stand on. But uh, yeah, I, I was more within the sort of terminal lucidity camp. Either way, it is beautiful and it is tragic all at once, and it's overwhelming to a degree. You know, there's a minute of silence afterwards which I think just punctuates it even even more. I was pretty lucid talking at the end of stage six because it was about an, an hour afterwards. I I wanted to sit and talk about it, but in the moment I just I just couldn't. I had to feel what I was feeling and process everything that was going through me at the time. Um Yeah. <laughs> Quite the experience, to say the least. It's one that I I am so pleased I did. Uh, I feel like... I don't know if it's necessarily accomplished any of the goals that I had for it. You know, the idea of sparking uh, a, a reignited sense of compassion and empathy to the levels I had before. I don't think it's capable of doing that. I think that's something that will fall out over time and come back to me. Uh, with time, but it was definitely a touchstone for me. It definitely made me feel emotional. It took me to some very emotional places. It took me to some strange mental places as well. Uh, Yeah, as I said, quite the experience. What is interesting is I'm not the only person having this experience. As I said at the top of the show, there's a chance you may have seen this in passing, you may be familiar with it in some degree, you may have seen some of the album artwork, you may have seen memes, uh, references to it on the internet, and that's because it has had this huge resurgence in the last few months to the last year, and weirdly enough, to kind of take us to a previous point in our history, a big part of that is down to TikTok. It had this huge boom on TikTok where one user of, of TikTok set about doing uh, the the caretaker challenge, or I think that's what they referred to it as, it, like challenging people to sit and listen to it as a whole. And you know, things on TikTok obviously get traction. Sometimes, you know, not everything, like anything on the internet, it's it's all sort of luck of the draw. If something becomes viral or something sticks or makes an impact, but this did, and you know, it's kind of found itself uh, leaking onto other sort of channels of the internet, other avenues of the web. YouTube in particular, if you look up uh, Caretaker and everywhere at the end of time on YouTube, you will find now a plethora of stuff on there. You know, people's theories, people's theses. Like I said as well, Reddit is a great source of stuff. And this is the interesting thing about it, is that so many people have latched onto this and found themselves connected to it. And through finding a connection to it, they found a connection with other people. One of the things that I've loved about doing this is looking through the YouTube comments for the official sort of posting on Leland Kirby's channel 
which hosts the uh, the actual official version of the album in full. Um, VVM Test is the name of it. And if you scroll into the comments section, there is so many instances of people who have obviously had heartbreaking personal experiences with diseases like Alzheimer's, people that have had first-hand uh, experiences with people that they've loved suffering from dementia and various other things. And this horrible, dark, consuming, decaying, awful thing has brought people to this and has brought people together to share their experiences. And so, like the last five minutes of the project, there is a sense of tragedy and beauty coexisting together. People that have had these awful experiences, that have seen loved ones become deteriorated and, and just disappear, who have had to go through that, but have found a bond with other people that have been able to connect through their experience, through their tragedies. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's creating something beautiful from something awful. And... I feel like that applies to the project as a whole. I'm in, in awe that this thing exists. I don't know, and I don't think anybody will ever really truly know how close of a simulation or a representation of, of Alzheimer's or dementia this will ever be. Um, but I think the fact that it has brought people to this, that it has given people a reason to slip on somebody else's shoes, to get outside of their own head, their own ego, to step outside of themselves and to try and experience as close or get, as I said, as close to the fringe of that experience as possible is a marvellous thing. You know, obviously as we go through our own lives, we, we, we yearn to learn more about who we are, what we can do, what we're about. But one of the great joys of being alive, period, is being able to know what it's like for other people, to share their experiences, to learn about their experiences, to even consider their experiences. There is a wealth of life within humanity, and at the moment, it might not seem like it, but it's still there, and even if it's through tragic circumstances, even if it's through a connection forged from tragedy, you know, we can experience that, we can revel in, in the beauty of that, of, of the experience, of the connection. I think this thing is fantastic. It's difficult, it's heartbreaking, it's consuming, but it is connecting. And that's what I want to end things on. Yeah, I want to leave you with that sense of connection, you know. It's, uh, it's a wonderful thing, and it's something that I think we all sort of bypass far too often. It's something that I think we all overlook and uh, often take for granted myself very, very much included i'm trying i'm trying to be better i'm trying to do better and um yeah as i always say at the end of each show look after yourselves and look after each other because for better and for worse each other is all that we've got